<laughs> oh, it's so good to be here this morning. So good to be here to be able to bring the word to you. I think Don's going to pray for me if he's still got his breath. A little bit. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you that we can come to your house, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we live in a country where that is still something that we can do. Lord, I pray that we would not take it for granted, Lord. I pray that we would come here and worship you fervently. Lord, I pray a special blessing upon Pastor Scott this morning, Lord. I pray that you would fill him with the Holy Spirit and give him the words that you would have us to hear this morning, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be hearers of your, well, not only hearers of your word, Lord, but doers only. Lord, and may we, may we not be worried about the things of our week, Lord, and all the things that Satan tries to bring into our lives to make sure that this time cannot be holy and set apart for you. But Lord, we pray for that this morning. We love you and we thank you for all that you're doing. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Don. We're in our uh, Advent series. I started a week early because I miscounted, but that's okay. I don't really care. This is really great to be in the book of Isaiah. Last week we looked at Isaiah 7. This week we're going to be looking into Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. And uh, yeah, the study of Isaiah is really an amazing book. I mean, I have studied it before, but honestly... Going through it this time has been really enlightening for me, and I hope that it will be for you as well as we go through this today. Um, Just to give us a little bit of an update for those of us who weren't here last week, uh, we studied Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Uh, In that particular passage, we were introduced to the evil king Ahaz. Some of you may call him... um, I can't even pronounce it now, that Ahaz, 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 because I've learned to pronounce it the right way. Now it's hard for me to pronounce it the wrong way. But Ahaz, the evil king of Judah during that time period. And if you're interested in studying all about him, you can study him in 2 Kings chapter 16. And continuing on, this particular point in time is a really interesting point in time in Israel's history. Um... And Ahaz himself is really just a really interesting and yet terribly evil king. That, uh, and Isaiah is working with him. He says, so we saw how Ahaz attempted to make a pact with the king of Assyria and the destruction that that pact brought to Judah. And then we read that the Lord challenged Ahaz to ask him for a sign. And that sign could be as great as as high as the heavens, as low as hell. God gave him no boundaries to the sign that he could ask of him, but Ahaz declined, foolishly thinking that that he was being faithful to the Lord, even though he was rejecting him in, in, in following the Assyrian gods for worship. But thankfully, the Lord being who he is, provided him with a sign despite his rejection, a sign that proclaimed that the coming of Emmanuel was to, be, was to happen. The promise of God with us. The promise of the ages. The Messiah, whom my Old Testament professor calls the head crusher from Genesis 3.15. He is coming. We learn that because of 
Ahaz's action and his disbelief and his total disregard for Yahweh, that Judah would be thrown into despair and poverty would be coming. And this led to the fact that the future Messiah himself was going to be born into human poverty. That he was, as we know, a carpenter's son, born among the animals and not in the palace of kings. We then looked into the New Testament and discovered what the promise of Emmanuel means to us and individually and as a church body. Unfortunately, I do have to say that the message wasn't recorded on YouTube. <laughs> we'll figure out how to do that for sure. It is today because we actually have people who know what they're doing and not me doing it. But anyway, the message is on our website at calvarylahunta.org, and I would encourage you to listen to it if you haven't because this series of messages build on each other. But today, as we continue in our study, God with us, by looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And this is a familiar passage, but really it's not going to make a whole lot of sense until we briefly overview what is happening in between 7 and 9 and chapter 8. Because in chapter 8 of Isaiah, it provides the background for the beautiful words of hope that Isaiah brings us in chapter 9. At the end of chapter 7 and 8, Isaiah references Ahaz and the people of Judah and their choice to follow the world that they can see, and that from their own human wisdom makes sense. It makes sense to follow the world to them. Ahaz was so confident that an alliance with Assyria would allow him and Judah to survive the impending battle with Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember that Israel at this time was split into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom of Israel, and then there was the southern kingdom of Judah, which was very small. It's also essential for us to remember what we learned last week about the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant that God made with King David, which states that someone from David's bloodline would always be on the throne in Israel. And this would continue all the way through the coming of the Messiah. And once the kingdom was split after Solomon, Judah was the remnant that the Lord fulfilled this promise through David with. But Ahaz, as we saw, and we'll see in chapter 8, as we're hearing about in chapter 8, he was sold out to Tilgoth Pileser, who is the king of Assyria at the time. Try and say that three times really fast. Ahaz pronounced himself a servant of the king of Assyria. This is the king of Judah. He should be a servant of the Lord. But he pronounces himself a servant of Assyria. He took silver from the temple, from the temple of the Lord, and he sent it to the king of Assyria as a gift. Ultimately, Assyria turned against Israel and Judah and attacked, beginning first in the northern kingdom and then eventually into Judah. Surprise! The enemy actually lied. What seemed to be a wise decision in the eyes of Ahaz turned out to bring destruction and poverty to his people and to Judah itself. But, it's a big but, there is a remnant of faithful believers in Yahweh left in Judah. And they lived in the truth of Emmanuel, that God is with us, that this was a promise not just for the future, 
but it was also the present reality for them. These faithful, along with Isaiah, were called not to fear the current reality that they were living in, but to place their faith in the Lord, Yahweh. They were to remain steadfast and worship him and obey him in his laws. They were called to separate themselves from the faithless and to wait on the Lord. Now, we have to understand that they were living in a very dark and oppressive time. Gloom and doom was so thick that it felt like a dark, thick London fog that just enveloped them like a thick blanket. You could feel the darkness around you. And so it was easy for them to focus on the darkness and despair and not on the Lord's light. But the light was coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we just come before you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the hope that this passage brings us. Lord, I, I pray that today that we would see how this relates to how we are living right now in the world that we live in, and that we would see, Lord, how the promise of hope that you are bringing into the world, that you've brought into the world, Lord, gives us a sense of hope and, and takes us out of times of gloom and doom and despair and into your light and, and joy. And just praise you and thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I'm going to read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, but I'm going to start actually in Isaiah 8, starting in verse 20. So Isaiah 8, starting in verse 20, because this will lead up to what is happening here in chapter 9. To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to the word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against the king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness the gloom of anguish, and they will, they will be thrust into thick darkness. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I mean, this would be our prayer that we live like this, right? Listen to what happens. I love this because, as I said, this is a very big but. But, but, there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the island of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the Lord, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness here have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. 
For every boot of the trampling of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Isn't that good news? I mean, the second half of that is good news, starting in chapter 9. There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish, even though they live in darkness. The believing remnants were going through a difficult time, as we can see, throughout his. His terrible and faithful leadership distressed the land and its people, and gloom and doom were fundamental attitudes and realities at that time. And the challenge for them, the remnant, was this. And really, all the people was this. Where would their focus be? Where would their focus be? Would their focus be on the darkness or on the glorious way of the Lord? As verse 2 says, even as the people were walking in the darkness, they have seen a great light. Even in their deep darkness, a light was shown on them. And there is the now and the not yet in the passage. Here is what theologian J.T. Motyer says in his commentary on Isaiah. As always, the people of God must decide what reading of their experiences will they live by. Are they to look at the darkness, the hopelessness, the dreams shattered, and conclude that God has forgotten them? Or are they to recall his past mercies, to remember his present promises, and to make great affirmations of faith? Isaiah insists that hope is the present reality part of the constitution of the now. The darkness is true, but it is not the whole truth and certainly not the fundamental truth. The faithful can look back, the faithful remnant of Israel, and for us as well. And we can see, we can look back and see the Lord's faithfulness when he took them out of slavery in Egypt and they crossed safely through the Red Sea to escape the charging Egyptian army. They can look back and they can see the Lord's faithfulness to them despite their unfaithfulness while they were wandering in the wilderness. It is a fantastic thought to think that their sandals over those 40 years never wore out and that they always had food and water. The Lord was always with them despite their sinful disobedience and whining. The Lord was with them when they went into the promised land. The Lord's faithfulness, his mercy and grace were constantly present realities for the nation of Israel despite their sin. And as we saw last week, they have now been given the promise of God that the Messiah is to come. And his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Throughout Isaiah 8, Isaiah tells us that the people knew that God was with them. They knew that God was with them then and that he would be with them in the future. 
And as Motyer points out, the question for them is, will they focus on their surrounding darkness and cast off gloom and doom and come into the light that the Lord has provided for them? And we'll see later, this is true for us as well. This light as he has provided is himself. It is the Lord God Almighty who is with us. Verses 3 through 5, Isaiah points to the things that the Lord is doing. That he multiplied the nation, that he increased its joy. Those are the first two. And the third one is that for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, he broke them on the day of Midian. He defeated the enemies. And then there were two responses. The people rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, as they were glad when they divided the spoil. The first one is that the Lord is the one who increases the size of the nation. He takes the remnant, and he is the one who brings the increase. It's not us. It's not them. It's not any of our wisdom. The second one, it is the Lord who increases the joy of the nation of Israel. And in our time, all the tribes and nations, as he gathers them together, his people, to whom he has called to himself. And then, and then all the people, by rejoicing, they will display that when they reap the fruit of this, there will be a heart of joy. Heart of joy. It'll be great. It'll be grand. There'll be hopeful people looking at what God has provided for them, and they'll be filled with a heart of joy, a sense of gladness as they divide the treasures and the spoils of victory. And the third thing is, it is the Lord who brings the victory. He carries the weight of the battle upon himself. The Lord uses his staff and his rod to defeat the enemy, to get the people out of gloom and despair and into the light. The promise of Emmanuel, God being with them, was a current reality for them. God was and always is with his people. This is the Lord's grace. It is the Lord's mercy to spare his people from darkness. And now as we come to the pinnacle of this passage, the promise that builds on the promise that we studied Last week in chapter 7, verses 10 through 17, we learn, we learn a little more regarding Emmanuel coming to be with his people. Let's read verses 6 and 7 again. So beautiful. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Last week we learned that Emmanuel would be born of a virgin. And that he would be born into poverty because of the unfaithfulness of Israel under the rule of the evil king Ahaz. And in verses 6 and 7 in our passage this morning, Isaiah brings us even more details of what this child is going to be. 
who he is and what is he all about. Isaiah gives him four specific names. The first one is Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This child is a king. The first one we'll look at is a wonderful counselor. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean, wonderful counselor? It means that this child, Emmanuel, Jesus, the head crusher, would be a counselor of wonder. There is a supernatural sense to his counsel. He provides a counsel of wonder, wisdom beyond anything that has come before or after him. Of course, he is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 28, 29. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. He's excellent in wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Psalm 32, 8 says this. I will instruct you, the Lord says, and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He is a personal counselor. He counsels us with his eye upon us. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that bring us hope? And sometimes, it, depending on where we're at in life, that can be a little scary. But the fact is, is that he is with us. And he counsels us with his eye upon us. And then during uh, Jesus' transfiguration, Jesus says, or the Lord says this about Jesus in Mark 9, verse 7. He says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The wonderful, powerful, supernatural counsel of Jesus is to be listened to. His counsel was far more significant than any that King Ahaz was listening to at the time. Undoubtedly more important and more wonderful than any counsel he received from the king of Assyria. His second name, Mighty God. Mighty God. El Gibor. El means God. El means God. And Gibor indicates that he is a hero or a champion. He is the victor. He is the almighty God. He is the one to be feared and the one to be obeyed. And indeed, the one to be respected. Again, Isaiah is proclaiming to the remnant that this child is God. And he is more significant than any of the attacking armies on Israel. He is the mighty warrior. He is their hero. The third one is, is, I, is everlasting father. Isaiah describes this child. Loving and kind like a father, full of grace and mercy. And we see this in Jesus and in his compassion and mercy, especially in people experiencing poverty and people who are in need. His heart would go out to the people who are in physical pain or outcasts of society. His healing of the sick and the blind, 
his touching of the leper. Remember the unclean leper whom he touched? And he healed him. But Jesus didn't come just to give sight to the physically blind and hearing to the physically deaf and to raise the physically dead. He came to give spiritual sight to the spiritually blind and spiritual hearing to the spiritually deaf and raise the spiritually dead to eternal life. He is the resurrection and the life. And all of us, all of us sinners need his healing hand for the remnants of those there that we talked about in Isaiah 8. The eternal God was with them and he cared for them while they were under the anguish of the evil king Ahaz. He protected those who kept their faith and trust in him. And the fourth one is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. By calling him a prince, Isaiah told the people that this child, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God and everlasting father, was also sovereign. He was royalty of the highest royal family. And nothing was out of his control. But Emmanuel, Jesus, the head crusher, was not just a prince. He was the prince of peace. He is the one who will bring about the end to violence, the end to death, and the end to war. There will come a time when we will experience peace. Listen to these words of Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, and also on either side of the river, the tree of life, and its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the wonderful hope that we have, that this child, Emmanuel, the light who is coming into the world, there will be a time where there will be no more war, no more death, no more tears, no more darkness. The glory of the Lord will be the light for those who place their faith in Christ and Christ alone. Because we are not saved by our own works, not by our own wisdom, not by our plans for peace or our treaties. The only treaty we need is to be reconciled to God through his son, this child that we were talking about, Jesus Christ, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, a wonderful counselor whose compassion, love, and obedience to his father led him to the cross to shed his blood and die for us. Will we accept that? The government and the rule of the universe rests on Jesus' shoulders. The good news for the remnant that Isaiah was writing to originally who lived under that oppressive and rotten king, Jesus, the Lord, 
The mighty one was the one who was sovereign and in charge. But the great news is that Jesus' reign and rule will also increase. Remember what John the Baptist said that when he saw Jesus, he said that he must increase and I must decrease. He said that in John 3.30. Because Jesus' reign is eternal. This child, Emmanuel, the head crusher we've been waiting for, and he fulfills the Davidic covenant that we spoke about earlier. And no one else will be on the throne because Jesus is the one. In the verse that we talked about earlier, I'll read it again, Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This child, Jesus, the head crusher, is the exact imprint of his father, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the eternal ruler, the king, the prophet, and the great high priest the scriptures tell of. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is by the zeal of the Lord that this will continue. The enthusiasm and joy and persistent nature of our God. But now the question comes to us is what does this mean for us in our time? And I've alluded to that throughout the message. But let's just take a few minutes to discuss what this prophecy of Jesus from Isaiah means to you and me in the church. We know that our world is not much different than the world that Isaiah lived in. We live in a time when people in high places of government, not just in America, but all around the world, have rejected Yahweh. They have left his truth to protect and care, and his care for the faithful to try and take it upon themselves. What they do is they make alliances with each other, hoping hoping beyond hope on the goodness of mankind. Instead of understanding the stark reality is that people are sinful and wicked. People are selfish and power hungry and put their interests before the interests of others. Not part of the time, but always. They want to save their own skin. They say power to the people. They stand before the masses and they cry out, look what I have done, look what I did. Didn't I help you? Aren't you better off than you were with the other guy? And we the people, not all of us I'm saying, but the majority follow along like lost sheep and head for the coming destruction. You can see this is similar to what we read about or talked about in Isaiah chapter 8. Times change, but people don't. And neither does our God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is immutable, which means he is unchanging. He is always faithful, always one we can put our trust in, in him alone. <clears throat> it is so easy for us to place <clears throat> our trust in things we see rather than the promises of our invisible God. Sherry told me this week, as we were talking about things in our church and where we're at, she told me that, that sometimes I have a savior complex, that 
I sometimes think that my wisdom can figure things out and I can make things right. Well, as difficult as that really was to hear, she's right. I do rely on myself too much instead of trusting in the faithfulness of our Lord and Savior. I know I'm not the only one who does that in their life, but I realize that I am going through that as well. <clears throat> Look, we know that our church <clears throat> is going through a transition. Attendance is up and down, offerings are down, and uh, it's really been difficult, not just in our church, but all churches. And we look at after COVID, people decided they didn't have to go to church anymore. We can just watch online in the comfort of our own living room. We don't need the fellowship of other believers. They can have a relationship with God without organized religion. Well, people can say whatever they want, but here's the deal. The church is not man's idea. It is God's creation. It is Jesus' bride. And people who reject the bride of Christ do so at their own peril. <clears throat> My job, our job, is not to save the bride of Christ. We are called to share the gospel and the good news and do the things that we are to do and leave the results to God. <clears throat> Churches are closing all over right now. I'm not saying that our church is in danger of closing. Look around, today was a great day. I mean, I, I am grateful for everyone who is here. And not just today, but every day. Every single Sunday that I come and stand before you, I am grateful for every single one of you. But like in Isaiah 7 through 9, we can easily focus on the darkness when people are sick or they're gone and there's not many people here, when offerings are down. And we can concentrate on the dark fog that sometimes closes in on us. <clears throat> and it's not just as a church because I know also in our own lives we go through difficulties. <clears throat> I talk to most of you at least once a week or every couple of weeks. I know what's going on in your life. And you have difficult things going on with illnesses and family issues and all kinds of things that I'm not going to go into. But here is the deal. God has called us to focus on his Light, his light. Listen to the words of Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Again, or at least part of them. But there will be no gloom for her who, has, who was in anguish. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then drop down to verse 6. Verse 6. Oh, the beautiful promise that God gives us. For, us. for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you see? There is 
no gloom for anyone who is in anguish if they put their faith and trust in the Lord and live and look to his light. That is where we get our hope. In his light, even when the darkness is surrounding you and it hugs you in a tight grip and you feel that there's no way to get out of it because it is suffocating you, look to his light. His light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it. This is the true light, as John says in John 1, 9 through 13. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Jesus is the true light, and he gives light to everyone who comes to him. We know that some people will reject him, and that should break our hearts. But for those who do receive him, we are now his children forevermore. He is the light. Again, in John 1, 4 through 5, he says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It is so easy for us to focus on the darkness and not the light, and to look to ourselves to try and find the solution instead of trusting in God and his promises. But he sent Emmanuel, God, with us, and for us, he has already come. We know he's come. We know what he's done. We know he went to the cross, that he shed his blood, that if we put our faith and trust in him alone, we can have forgiveness of our sin. We can be made new. We can become a new creation. We get a second chance to start over and be reconciled to our God, the King. Who would reject such an offer? From God, this is his grace and mercy. The greatest gift you could ever give yourself at Christmas time is his love, his grace, your forgiveness, your salvation by putting your faith and trust in him. Have you given your life to him? If you are here this morning and you don't know what that means or you're not sure, today you need to be sure. Come and talk to me or Dennis or anyone who loves Jesus and ask them, what does this mean? How can I have this light in my life? How can I escape the darkness that I live in? How can I have this hope of this child who came into the world? How can I have Emmanuel? Come and see us and we'll tell you how we'll tell you how let us not get bound up in the darkness I say put your faith in the one who hung on the cross instead of the ones who made the cross 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we just come before you, Lord, and we just thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for this great word that you have given us. Father, we, we praise you and just thank you for the promise of Emmanuel, the head crusher, the one, Lord, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, who came, Lord, so that we would be able to live in your light and not in the darkness that surrounds us. Father, I, I pray, God, that as we come now to the table that we are about to take in communion together, Lord, that we would remember what you have done for us. I praise you and thank you, Father, for this time. And if there's someone here this morning who has never given their life over to you and they want to know how to do that, I pray, Father, that you would move in their heart this morning to come and talk to us so that we can show them how they can get out of the darkness and live in the glorious light of Jesus Christ. We praise you and thank you. In your name, amen.